Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning, church. How is everyone? You're good, good, Jace. Thank you for answering. Um, well, uh, it is the first Sunday of the month, which means that we have all locations linking in this morning. So I just want to give a shout out to Gyra, to Armadale, to Bendy, um, to Tamworth, and <laughs> to Gunnedah, and to the uh, crew on the coast, and to our online location as well. Um, welcome. It's so good to be together and to gather around the word for our second last Acts message. Uh, and so we are going to talk today about what is potentially the most hypocritical thing that Paul ever did. Okay, maybe the second most hypocritical thing because he kind of killed Christians and became one. So that's arguably the most, but maybe the most hypocritical thing that he did or the most inclusive thing that he did, you decide. And how you decide whether it was hypocritical or inclusive will change the way that you live your life. And so we're going to look at this this morning. Uh, last week um, in Tamworth, a couple of weeks ago in Armidale and online, we looked at the gospel of radical inclusion. So sorry, Gyra and Gunnada and Bendy didn't get that one, but we were talking about how actually when Peter went and stayed at the Tanner's house, that that was something so inclusive that he couldn't have foreseen it would spark off what he was about to do next, which was to carry the message to the Gentiles. And we, we talked about how, you know, obviously in our midweek studies that the first cultural barrier to be crossed was that of the, the Judean Jews, those who were in Judea, um, the Hebraic Jews and, and the Galilean Jews, that they were together. But then the message went to the Hellenist Jews on the day of Pentecost. And then the next week, the next cultural barrier that was broken was actually um, going to the Samaritans. Now, not forgetting in any of this that Jesus kicked this off. Jesus was the one who went to the well to the Samaritan woman and he sat with her and then went to the said village of the Samaritan woman and had them all put their faith in Jesus Christ. He kicked it off and he told the story to the Jews about the so-called Jewish religious leaders who couldn't be bothered going out of their way to help somebody, but the Samaritan, good Samaritan did. He, he kicked that off. And, but then the, when Philip went to Samaria, it crossed the next cultural divide. Then when Peter went to Cornelius's house, it crossed the last cultural divide, which meant that all of us could be included. Now this week, we're going to look at the council at Jerusalem in our midweek studies, the council at Jerusalem. And that ensured that the message of Jesus Christ could go to anyone, that was anyone, by the way, anyone, anywhere, at any time. That was what the Council of Jerusalem came up with, that the gospel would be relevant for all people for all time, anywhere. And last week we looked at spiritual warfare. Pastor Mike, thank you, Pastor Mike Matamani. Thank you, Pastor Christelle. Amazing people who are well-versed in that topic and it was incredible. But we're going to head to the Council of Jerusalem. And we're going to, so we're not going to go too much into that today, but I need it just to set up our story. And, um, and so we're going to go to Acts chapter 15 this morning, Acts chapter 15, to see the most hypocritical thing that Paul ever did, or second most, or the most inclusive thing that he ever did. Acts chapter 15. Now you can pull that in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen, but we're going to verse 1. And it says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's the issue at stake here. It's great that you've all put your faith in Jesus Christ, you grown men. Now you need to be circumcised. Okay, who knows that that's a problem? 
Okay, verse four. Now this is the council. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and He confirmed that He accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. Sorry, I just had to take my flowers up. Um, verse 9. I, I preached a whole message a couple of weeks ago and didn't find out till I got down. So well, you're welcome online. Um, he made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So that's the council. They've had their discussion. This is the resolution in verse 13. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. And then he goes on to talk about what was written. Verse 19, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to obtain, abstain from eating foods offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Now, just a brief rundown of these instructions that he's giving them. He says, no food offered to idols which, you know, essentially he's saying, don't put any other gods before me. Don't, don't allow the worship of foreign gods to influence and infiltrate your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not forget they're living in what's called a polytheistic society where they're believing in many gods and that the, the tendency could be or the temptation could be that, okay, we worship Brahma, we worship Kevi, we worship Dimitri, whatever. Now we'll add Jesus and Mary and whoever else we want to to that. Has anyone been to India and been in a taxi driver seeing all the cards of all the gods that they worship along? Yes, I see that you all have. Uh, <laughs> um, weird brag. Okay, uh, so all the pagan practices, it, it, they're saying don't get involved in any of those. And although sexual immorality, um, not engaging in that is against the moral law of God, which stands for all time, it's also specifically talking about that in pagan worship as well, because there was much prostitution in, in pagan worship. And then no um, eating meat from strangled animals. Now, if you're a vegan here this morning, just stick your fingers in your ears and say la, 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 la for about 20 seconds. But that just simply means that when um, they were instructed to kill animals to eat, and I'm sorry if you thought that animals just came from woolies, but they actually like slit the throat, let the blood drain out, and then they would butcher the meat. In pagan practices, um, because of the kind of, you know, the pagan practices, let's not forget a lot of it is crazy demonic and and so it's like ugly and forceful. They would strangle the animal and then with the blood still in the animal, they would butcher it and they would eat it like that. And God's saying, don't do that. And there's these dietary requirements happening here as well. So then what happens? 
It's amazing. They just like, you've got to watch the midweek study. It's really cool. It's not me this week. It's Andy Stanley. He's way better than me. Okay, the messengers went at once to Antioch where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. You betcha. Of course there was. Like, you don't have to get circumcised. Oh, <laughs> please. Oh, bring that sharp rock over here. No, they're excited. Verse 36, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, because they want to share this good news, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. You know that story. If you're reading the daily devotions, let's head to chapter 16. It says, Paul first went to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the era, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Paul! You just went to Jerusalem to talk about how they don't need to be circumcised and then you take this young disciple and give him the chop-chop. What is going on? Why? I feel like grace starts in this moment. Grace is grace here. Grace starts. For everybody, grace starts made a wonderful Timon in the school musical. And, and she has this line where she says, um, you, talking to Simba, of course, you know her, talking to Nala, you know her, yeah. She knows you, yeah. Um, and she wants to eat us and everybody's just okay with that. And Grace delivers it perfectly, way better than I just did. But I feel like that is the Jews in the moment. You just went to the council, you got an instruction and we don't have to do this. And then you've taken poor Timothy and you've done that for him and everybody's just okay with this. Paul, what on earth are you doing? Well, this is a gospel of radical inclusion. So let's think about this a little bit more. We've been talking about radical inclusion and embracing everyone that is outcast. For you, figuratively. For me, literally. I'm just going to hug them. You know I will. Um, me and Dan Rankmore, we're just going to hug them. Um, and and we, we, we get these people and we say community and connection and we say, you've got time and space. We afford you the same time and space for the Holy Spirit to work in your life that He did in us. And, and we allow that to happen. And for some of you, I know that that process is a real challenge for you. In this society of tolerance and acceptance, which let's face it, is not real tolerance and acceptance. Just say something unpopular and find out how quickly it is intolerant and unacceptable. Unaccept him. But that challenge seems to be getting less and less. That, that in fact, we are just willing to embrace everybody and, and that's a sign of the gospel working. But I know that some people would be feeling like, oh, it feels like we're compromising. And, and as we talked about last week, it did then too. It felt like they were compromising. But we, we've got this gospel of radical inclusion. Now, I just want to remind us that we live in areas that isn't prone to radical inclusion as much as some places. I just want to remind us of that. We're in rural and regional areas. And we're not, you know, in cities often, it's much more inclusive than we are. I just want to remind us of that because I know that we have this inner thing in us that has a commitment to holiness 
And I'm not saying that cities aren't holy. I'm just saying that, that sometimes we, we, we don't know which it is, if it's a commitment to holiness or if actually we're a little bit judgmental. And I want to give you some tools this morning to figure out which one you are. You see, if you have a double standard as it relates to a commitment to holiness, where you'll say that that person's got time to grow and change, but this person doesn't, then that's where you've got to examine if it's really a commitment to holiness. You've got to examine a commitment to holiness if you're fully prepared to accept that person, but you don't want the pastor to because they're the pastor and they need to have a conversation. That's a double standard. You've got to look at your commitment to holiness really there. And then I would like to say, if you've got a commitment to holiness over here, but you've got this issue that you're struggling with and you just get really angry and sometimes you just let words out and you're pretty okay with that, then you've got to know you don't have a problem with sin. You've got a problem with their sin. And so I want us to just hold ourselves accountable for that. But however, it is less and less and less that we have a problem with people and being radically inclusive. In fact, when I preached on radical inclusion in Armidale, One of the questions that came through in CTC was, I don't have a problem with people who struggle. That's not a problem. I've got a problem with annoying religious people. Annoying religious people, right? Who Paul would say, those annoying religious people who just make you get circumcised when you don't need to be. It's so annoying. And and I don't really like it. And what, you know, what are we supposed to do with them? And he says, and Timothy's like, yeah, I don't really like it either. And Paul's like, yeah, cool, bite down on this stick, Timothy. <laughs> Ribo Reuben, come over here, do your thing. And he says, go ahead and do what you need to do. Because when you decide to follow Jesus, your life is no longer your own. When you decide to follow Jesus, your life is no longer your own. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So he's actually talking to people who are steeped in law in that moment. But he's saying, my life is not my own. I measure it by how much I am died to myself and alive to Christ. Now, by way of explanation, um, is there anyone here who just really struggles with sin all the time? Okay, Luke, yep, you can come up. Um, If you volunteer, that's fine. Um, is there anyone that just really struggles with judgment and self-righteousness? Oh, Dan, I didn't pick that for you, but okay, you can come up um, as well, please. Um, just for those watching, no one put their hand up, okay? So Luke is over here and he is just like, just struggling all the time. He can't get it right and he's really finding it difficult. And, and some of you are like, you know what, mate, that's all right. Good on you. Like, like, you know, just keep going, keep at it. And it's nothing to you to embrace this fella. But some of you are more like, oh man, this is killing me because I hate what you're doing. And, but because I love you and it takes everything within me, I will embrace you because I know that the grace of Lord Jesus is extended to you as much as it was to me. So we have those two things. Over here, we have self-righteous, judgmental Pharisee and, uh, called Dan. Good choice. Okay. Uh, your word's not mine. Um, and, and we would say, so, so many of us maybe are like, oh, yes. This is the best connect group I've ever been to. Yes, I hate those young people and that leftist media outlet. They're disgusting. They're awful. Um, But then some of us are like, it repels me to come close to you because of your judgmental attitude. But God calls us to this embrace as much as He does to that embrace. Can we give the self-righteous, judgmental Pharisee a hand and the dirty, rotten sinner a hand as they sit down? So we want to look into this. We want to dig into this and we're going to go to Romans chapter 13 in order to fully search it out. Romans chapter 13. 
And it says in verse 8, I'm going to read a, a chunk of Scripture, but I hope it comes alive to you. Lord, would you let it come alive to us this morning? It says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbour, you will fulfil the requirements of God's law. So if you love, everything else will flow. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery. Well, if you're loving people, you're not going to commit adultery. You must not murder. If you love people, you don't tend to kill them. You must not steal because that belongs to someone and I love them and I don't want to hurt them. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So if you thought that embracing this sinner over here meant that you can just do whatever you want, this scripture is about to speak to that. It says the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will almost will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armour of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the dark, darkness of wild parties. So if that's for someone this morning and you add the wild parties, just... Stop going. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties or drunkenness. If you're prone to getting drunk, it's time to stop that now. Or in sexual promiscuity. So maybe you don't struggle with wild parties or drunkenness, but you're on Tinder and it's time to get off. And immoral living. And just so it covers all of us right now, it says, and in quarrelling and jealousy. So, so if you've got a spouse, in quarrelling. Amen? <laughs> no, <laughs> me neither. Uh, <laughs> and jealousy in the same list, guys, in the same list. So let's all work on this together. It says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And I want to tell you this morning that if you clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have time for your mind to go there because the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful and wonderful. And if you get in His presence, it will break through in your life and it will break through in these areas as well. All right, I'm going to need a little bit of help. I'm going to ask Mikey and Linnea if they would come up this morning. It says this, and uh, you should probably stand over here, Mikey, on the Dirty Rotten Sinner side. <laughs> Your favourite side, cool. Okay. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Now, when I say weak in faith, who do you think of? Maybe a new believer, maybe someone who struggles with sin. I want to tell you that is not this person. Okay. Accept others who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance... One person believes it's all right to eat anything. Here is some bacon rinds and here is some wine. There you go. You think it's okay to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Vegetables? No, not vegetables. Vegetables. Kate, Bunnell, uh vegetables. Um, now, the person who does not eat or who eats anything can't look down on the person who doesn't. So Kate is exploring a season of veganism and Lachlan Bunnell and Maka Sinclair have told her that whatever she's a vegan, they will eat double the meat that they usually eat <laughs> so that her sacrifice is null and void. That is not supporting the person. 
Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval, hoping that this spousal relationship is all good. (laughs) Because if you're judging Mike at the moment, this is not prophetic, I promise. I'm just prepared. Okay. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honour Him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honour the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. (laughs) KFC, tell you, it's good at the time. You feel dirty and hate yourself afterwards. (laughs) And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live... It's to honour the Lord. And if we die, it's to honour the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the Scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Can we take this to a more contemporary example? Because we're all eating anything because it's Christmas time, let's face it. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no medicine in and of itself is wrong. But if someone believes it's wrong to get vaccinated, then for that person it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by you not getting vaccinated, then you're not acting in love if you keep going on about it. Don't let your getting vaccinated ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticised for doing something you believe is good. Oh my goodness, it all just got pulled down. (laughs) All right, you can take your seats on that non-controversial note. (laughs) Thanks, Mikey and Linnea. Pray for their marriage. (laughs) You can eat anything, Linnea. And Mikey, you can cut down. (laughs) Sorry, it's not okay. I would be crying. I would be crying. Um, it's not okay. I really apologise. Okay, you may, you may believe, verse 22, that there's nothing wrong with what you are doing. If you feel free, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they've decided is right. Now let's, let's remember our conditions again. We're not talking about sexual immorality. We're not talking about things that upset other believers. We're talking about love first. Because if you love first, then you'll fulfil all the other requirements. If you love God and you love people, you won't be looking to decide that things are right that actually aren't right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Whoa, come on, wow. 
we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ doesn't live to please Himself. As the Scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, oh God, have fallen on me, etc. And it goes on. I want to give you just a few quick things. Number one, think of others first. Think of others first. You might feel completely free and you're annoyed at the restrictions that this religious person has placed on themselves and maybe on you. But the Bible says to think of others first. And if you can lay down your life in order for them to feel okay, then you do that. An example would be that uh, my mother-in-law didn't like alcohol and we felt free to drink alcohol. But in front of my mother-in-law, we would never drink alcohol because her conscience was not okay with it. And so we curtailed our rights and laid down our rights in order to exalt and to lift up her conscience. And we can do that. You might be saying, Bron, but what if they're just stupid and religious? Pray for them. Stop looking down on them and pray for them. Think of others first. Train your brain. Doesn't mean don't think of yourself at all. Just put a pin in it. Just put it in. I'm going to come back to that. I'm thinking of all the things that affect me, but I'm just going to put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to it. And I'm going to take this counterintuitive way, this upside down way, this inside out way of what do you need from me? And I want to consider that first. And then I'm going to come back and I'll consider what I need and what I think and I'll pray through that. But number two, I'm going to think of others more and I'm going to finish with thinking of what you need from me. And I'm going to arrive to my decision based on that. First, you, then me, and then you again. Think of others more. Now you might think, two objections. Number one, what about me? What about me, as Shannon said, and someone before him that no one remembers. Sorry, dude. Um, But you did not have a flavour saver. Um, What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough now. I want my share. What about me? I remember this time that Daz um, was just, he's just an elevator of people. You might have experienced this. He just wants to push people forward and elevate them and launch them into everything that God has for them. And I felt like he wasn't doing that for me, which was a ridiculous notion because he has always done that for me all my life. But whatever, I'm not great sometimes. Sometimes I'm all about myself. And, uh, and so he was pushing everyone forward. And I was praying about this. I'm like, God, what's going on? And God said, Bron, you need to push everyone forward in your life. Just start pushing everyone forward. Anyone that you see, elevate them to what God has on their life. Just keep on elevating them. And I said, but God, who's going to do that for me? And it was like, Jesus, well, I'll do that. And I think we've got a pictorial uh, representation of this this morning. Jesus was like, like, "Mm." wow, that's not prophetic. (laughs) Um, Jesus was like, who's seen the little emoji man? Jesus, that's where he was like me. I'll do it. Hey, there he is. (laughs) Jesus is like, I'll do it. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. Thank you, Jesus. And then secondly, but what if I get taken advantage of? That's our feeling, right? But what if I'm pushing people forward and and I'm getting taken advantage of? Verse 2 of chapter 15 says, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Verse 3, for even Christ didn't live to please Himself. In fact, He was happy to be insulted, it says here. And then down to verse 8 says, Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises He made to their ancestors. So if you get taken advantage of, just remember, Jesus, 
He's like, yeah, me too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know how you feel. And be joyful that you get to share in the fellowship of His sufferings. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, he said, I will never eat meat again if it causes another believer to stumble. I'll never, I'll never eat meat again. Happy not to. Lockie, is that a word from God for you this morning? If it's going to cause my sister to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Just something for you to think about. Radical inclusion, this gospel of radical inclusion, means loving and embracing everyone and laying aside our own preferences to do so on every sphere. Radical inclusion. Loving and radical inclusion. I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue on with the service. And I just want to encourage you that if we will be the church that embraces radical inclusion, we will be the most uncomfortable church that you've ever been to. And I think that's where God wants us to live. So Lord, would you make us uncomfortable? (laughs) Why am I praying that? But Lord, not your will. Oh, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, as it relates to the outcast, as it relates to the shunned, as it relates to the unholy, as it relates to the unlikely, as it relates to the judgmental, as it relates to the self-righteous, as it relates to the religious, as it relates to the holier than me. Lord, I pray that I would have your heart for those people. Lord, I pray that I would have your heart and that our church would be a church that reflects your heart for those who don't know your love and don't know your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.